May the Force Be With You, Part 2, on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and I won't be attempting a Darth Vader voice for this whole episode, uh, but it is once again entitled May the Force Be With You, and we're not talking about uh, the Star Wars Force, uh, we're talking about a Wilbur force, uh, which is even more important to the times in which we live. I'm a very fired up podcaster, and uh, hopefully you'll hear the passion in my voice and the emotion in what I'll be speaking about today, because this is so important. Now, some things you just can't make up. Uh, Today is actually Star Wars Day. I don't know if you are familiar with May the 4th. It's May the 4th be with you, which has made this Star Wars Day. And uh, so I'm actually recording this on May 4th. I know it'll be released on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, uh, which has nothing to do with the podcast today. But in honor of Star Wars Day and the fact that I'm recording it today, I actually am wearing my Millennium Falcon t-shirt. If you're watching on YouTube, you could see it. Um, So... I've gone, I've gone full script on this uh, for the Star Wars theme anyway. Uh, I am so passionate, as you know, about cultural issues. And what I don't want to do on this podcast is just throw the problems at you without strategy because we need strategy. It's one of the most important applicable words to what we are living in right now in this culture. If we're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Well, if we're concerned, what are we going to push back with? Just complaints? Whining? That doesn't accomplish much. No, we need strategy. We need strategy. And that's why I've introduced a couple topics over these last podcasts about history and learning from history. And the famous quote, you know, that, that, that those that fail to learn from history are destined to repeat it. Um, I also wanted to add to that that those that do learn from history are destined to make it. And I want my life to make history. I want your life to make history. We are here to be relevant. Relevant for his kingdom and relevant for the purposes that he has you here on the earth today. And so when we see this past week, you know, the State of the Union address by President Biden and, and, and sort of the laundry list of liberalist progressive agendas, and, and we can become quite discouraged by that. Or we talked about, you know, the history being taught in schools or, or lack of history being taught in schools. And, and we can't just release podcasts, information, articles, um, TV, any any. We can't just release negativity and dogma. We have to give strategy for what we're going to do about it. That's why we're here. And so that's why I believe 
leaning into the life and times of William Wilberforce is so important. I tried to share my heart a little bit last podcast. Now, I know some people uh, hear about historical figures and your eyes glaze over and and you go back to the kitchen and you try to get some other things done because this is going to be boring and dry. I'd encourage you to resist that temptation uh, to sound this out, Um, although I will talk about his life historically. We have to get into the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this Wilberforce guy changed the world in just his lifetime. And if somebody can do that, a contemporary, this wasn't that long ago, my friends. If they can do that, um, then we can do that. I know that we can. We have more resources, abilities um, than this world has ever seen. And so if he can do it in that microcosm of where he was and in his life, then we can absolutely do it too. You know, there's always that famous question, you know, if you could have dinner with one famous historical figure, who would it be? And most of us would answer Jesus. And that's, that would be my answer too. That would be pretty amazing. But let's take Jesus out of the equation. Let's say he's not an option to your question, to that question. Who would you pick? A lot of people pick Abraham Lincoln or, or George Washington or somebody along those lines. Um, William Wilberforce would be on my short list. Um, he's a man that, that transformed history in such a brief period of time and brought about the, the abolition, the end of slave trade in all of England. Let me just read you a little bit. I told you last month I've, I've, I read this article that I thought was just excellent that was entitled, you know, The World Needs More Wilberforces. I've also just read his biography and so many of the quotes today are going to be straight out of his book um, that was written about him and quotes from him. But William Wilberforce has been called the greatest reformer in history. It said about him, not one nation but the whole human family participated in the benefit he conferred on fellow men. Said Napoleon would arrive in pomp and power, a man who knew the height of earthly ambition, yet as one tormented by bloodshed and the opposition of war. Wilberforce would come home to the bosom of his happy and delighted family, able to lie down in peace because he had preserved so so many millions of his fellow creatures. The 50-year period preceding the start of the Victorian era is known as the Age of Wilberforce. I wonder how many people even know about this man. Maybe you'd get it right on a multiple choice question. But what was the story of this man? How... What happened in his life? Well, how was he set up to accomplish what the Lord called him to accomplish in such a short period of time? I mentioned before that there's this eerie similarity between what he was facing in the African slave trade and what we're facing today in regards to human life and abortion. It's eerie. And so let me just read a quote that I took right out of the book and I'm going to not lie to you. It made me cry when I read it. It's going to make me cry now, apparently when they're talking about William Wilberforce and what he accomplished, it said a measure 
which will diffuse happiness among millions now in existence, and for which his memory will be blessed by millions yet unborn. Whoa. My friends, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This world is looking for those, for anyone who will stand up for the millions yet unborn. That's what this is all about. That's, that's what drives my heart. That's what is a passion within me, and it's burning. And, and it's no coincidence, I believe, that, that the Lord put William Wilberforce in my story, in my life, because I believe that he had strategy. It was strategy from on high. Let's make no mistake about it. It was strategy on high that set this man up for the right time in the right place, for the right changes that this world needed. The themes in his life are the themes of this podcast, cultural reformation. And that's why I believe I'm drawn to him and have such passion for his life. So what about William Wilberforce? He was a very small man, <laughs> like physically very small. He was a very demure little man in stature. But they said he would fill up a room with the way that he spoke and with his personality. And so even though he was small in stature, he was large in the Lord's eyes and large, obviously, what I just read in the realms of history of mankind. He was a hero of humanity. But his story started with personal reformation. And so please hear this. If you hear nothing else from this podcast, please hear this one point. In order to reform you need to be reformed. In order to reform, you need to be reformed. He was a reformationalist. And the, this transformation redirected the course of his life, it said in his biography. And that he would not have been the reformer without it. William Wilberforce uh, knew about God when he was young, uh, but his family actually was quite leery of the church and actually removed him from the church, even though uh, where he attended with family members was actually quite radical uh, and was uh, actually in the in the midst of revival. And he sort of grew up on this. His mother became quite uneasy with it and actually took him away from that environment. And he even admitted that he lived a very worldly, secular life, most of his young adulthood that led him into politics and represented his region in England. Uh, however, he had a radical transformation and experience with God that shifted and changed everything. His eyes were literally opened to the world around him and the reality of Christianity. He wrote, it was settled, it was a settled conviction in my mind of the truth of Christianity. And it transformed and changed him to an incredible degree. And he talked about personal devotion and reflection uh, that, that would carry him and the times that he spent with the Lord. And he said if he didn't have those times, that the pressures of life would claim and carry his heart. He 
after he changed and had this radical transformation in his life, he wrote, the deep guilt and black ingratitude of my past life forced itself upon me in the strangest colors, and I condemned myself for having wasted my precious time and opportunities and talents. He looked back on his life and saw that there was that he had gifts and opportunities, the place that he was placed in in politics, and that he felt like they were wasted. He had such a profound transformation that he actually felt like it was impossible for him to stay in the realm of politics because of the dirtiness of, of the realm of what politics brought. He didn't feel like a Christian could actually operate uh, in the comings and goings of the political world and realm. So I believe what set him up was personal reformation. But what, what, per, what propelled him, what pushed him forward was actually a calling. And that's true for any of us in any stature or, or position of our life. If we do something without being called into it, it's going to feel burdensome. And we're not going to feel joy in the journey. But he was called. He was called. In fact, despite his hesitancy that I just mentioned, he actually surrounded himself with friends that encouraged him. William Pitt, who would eventually become prime minister of England, uh, said to him and wrote to him, Surely the principle as well as the practice of Christianity are simple and lead not to meditation only but to action. William Pitt pushed Wilberforce hard, knowing the talents and the abilities in this man, and said that his Christian change that was within him actually should encourage him to continue on his current path because he could do so much good with the position that he was in. It's very famous, his friendship with John Newton, who was the the writer of Amazing Grace, the song, and former slave ship captain, And John Newton would encourage him as well to not leave politics, but to lean into it from a Christian perspective from which he was called. As Wilberforce was struggling with this, he wrote, If a Christian may act in the several relations of of life, must he seclude himself from them all to become so? And finally, he came to the conclusion that Christians to glorify God Christians are to glorify God in the stations in which they were placed by providence. He felt from God and from the encouragement of his friends and those that were he was called, called to be around that he was in the right place at the right time. And this change of Christianity, this reformation inside of him actually drove him to reformation. He took his faith seriously on a public and private level. He had an incredible resolve. His life focused on resolve. My friends, it took 50 years for slave trade to be abolished in England. And he saw it before he died. It took all of his adult life to fight this battle. He reported that that he was able to withstand criticism because of this change that was within him. His, his radical transformation in his personal life actually allowed him to enter into politics and withstand the criticism that was certainly coming. Certainly coming. He wrote, next to impossible to face criticism when it is our duty to do so unless we diligently cultivate the habit of judgment and feeling by which we shall alone be able to withstand when duty requires. See, 
when we enter into a calling, and a calling as strong and as important as the slave trade or abortion, my friends, there are dark forces at play. I can tell you, even in my own experience, since the Lord has called me to this place of human life and abortion, that I, I, I'm just going to be raw and transparent with you, my listener, that I've, I've felt heaviness in my life. Uh, I'm trying to distinguish whether it's the call of God or whether it's some oppression. And I know that some of even the anxiety uh, and pressure that I feel in my life, God doesn't speak to me that way. And so I know that there are some forces. I'm going to ask you to pray for me um, if you're listening to this too, because I, I have resolve. I've learned from William Wilberforce that you have to have resolve and I'm, I can stand against the criticism and, and, I, and I do feel called because of the emotion that I feel and the Lord is, is wooing me into a hard place. It's a political space. It's a cultural space. It's a societal, it's a, a societal place. He's calling me and it's dark. It's a dark place. But because of personal conviction, because of who we are and our identity, we have the resolve to stand. And I'm making that plea before you today as my own personal pep talk. I feel like this podcast is my own personal pep talk to what the Lord is calling me into and into this realm of culture and into this realm of abortion. So he was personally reformed and he had a call. He also surrounded himself by support. And I think this is super important. He actually belonged to something called the Clapham sect, uh, C-L-A-P-H-A-M. It was a group of Christian abolitionists, uh, but they were also cultural reformers. And so he continually and conscientiously rubbed elbows with these people to become stronger and to, to have allies in the fight. He was, was committed to honor. And those of you who have been listening to my podcast know that honor is such a, a high-level um, attribute that I care about so, so strongly. It wrote, they wrote in his book about Wilberforce, The first impulse of many would-be reformers is to focus on points of disagreement. Wilberforce strove to find common ground and build consensus whenever he could. He did not always succeed, but his willingness to try to make him many friends when others would only have made enemies. It's so important. Honor is the key. And finding those places of common ground is the key to forming relationships that that spur you on and to strengthen you and give you that support and that safety net when you need it. It's so critical. And in my time remaining, I just want to talk about Wilberforce personally, because I think this is a critical aspect of reformation in our world today. If this is something that is, that is wooing you or stirring your heart, then this is important. He was likable. He was very likable. He had such extreme character, but he also had charisma. And apparently, he was hilarious. Even the debates on the floor, he, he would have the whole, all of Parliament laughing. They said at times people falling off their chairs, they were laughing so hard. And then he would turn around and he would hit them in the heart with the truth and the point of his message. 
It's so important. He, he was, he was a, a social butterfly. He would frequently have people over to his home. And they said his home was simple because he gave away so much money. His home was simple, uh, but they always loved going there because they felt like they were the most important people in his world. As, as he talked to them and discussed with them and, and looked them in the eye. They, he was quoted as being winsome and charismatic. You know, you can say what you want about our current president, but one thing they've always said about Joe Biden is that he's likable. The people that know him, the people around Capitol Hill, they actually like him. And that actually gives you political clout. It gives you, it gives you influence. And it's something that I, I believe helped him win the presidency is that he was a likable, he is a likable man. Interestingly about William Wilberforce is he actually studied speaking. He actually studied the art of how to, how to communicate with people effectively. And I think that's important for all of us as we want to inject ourselves into influence. We need to learn how to treat people, how to converse with people. I'm not a big fan of flattery or, or manipulation, but there is a way to engage people into their hearts and truly care about them, and they know it when you do it. He was a man who operated in extreme humility. There was uh, countless examples in the book that I read about him where he deferred to others. And even when it came down to strategy, he had some health issues and, and, and he couldn't always make it to the floor of the parliament. And he would, he would willingly defer to people because it was about the cause, not the glory. See, if God calls you, it's about him and it's about his glory. And we are to never share in his glory. He does not like that. And so when he calls you with a cause, it's his cause. And you are his ambassador. You are his representative. You represent him here on this earth. You are not him. And you are not to share in his glory. And it's about promoting the cause. And William Wilberforce was, was masterful at, at living with an open hand. And even though he literally gave his all, his life to this cause, he would so quickly be willing to give it to someone else if it meant promoting the cause. He was also excellent at rejoicing in small victories. There were times when he was so discouraged that he would bring these bills before parliament and they would be dismissed outright and they would be voted down early on without barely even a discussion. And he would be reminded by John Newton and others that it was never even voted on before. The fact that it actually went to Parliament and was voted on was a small victory. And we, my friends, need to keep our eye on the small victories. I am preaching to myself on this one. When you are called to something great, when you are called to something important, as important as an issue like abortion, you need to have patience. It is not my strong suit, I am telling you. As a testimony, the Lord's working on me, but we need to have patience. John Newton actually reminded him, it said John Newton wisely reminded Wilberforce that he had already accomplished a great deal, something often lost on those who strive for great things, only to find that their progress is incremental at best. <laughs> 
oh, it's important for me to hear that. It's incremental at best. The thing that goes and is held in tension with patience is persistence. And Wilberforce perhaps was one of the greatest human examples of persistence that I have ever read about. Now, I'm much better at persistence than I am at patience. In fact, my family knows I'm kind of a bulldog. I don't give up easily. I'm not easily defeated at what's in front of me. And I think that will serve me well as long as I held that, hold that intention with, with patience. But I'm going to talk about the persistence of this man, and I'm going to get into some detailed strategy to help us move forward with injecting ourselves in influence into this world, and maybe even more specifically in this issue of life and abortion. It is said about what William Wilberforce that he had two great objects in his life. One is very well known, the end of slave trade. But there was a second. There was a second. And we will read about next podcast that the second was actually the key to the first. I won't tell you what it is. I'll just salt you with that. The second was the key to the first. And his persistence and his drive was legendary. So let me end with this one quote from William Oberforce himself. He said, it costs you something. Talking about a cause, any causes that's important to you, it costs you something and exposes you to many impertinences from which you would gladly be exempted. But if upon the whole, you are thereby instrumental in promoting the cause of God and the public good, you will have no reason for regret. I leave you with that quote to inspire you and to encourage you. Great things come at a cost and we are called to be great here on this earth. What are you willing to pay? What, are you, what, what price are you willing to pay to inject yourself into the influence of this world? I leave you with that, my friends, and look forward to continued discussions on this topic and many more as we go together to set and shape the culture.